This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to John 4, John 4, 5 through 19, 27 to 29, and verse 39. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, have you no bucket? Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Well, little Johnny was trying out for a part in the school play. And his mother knew that he had his heart set on it, but was fear, feared that he wouldn't actually get a part. Well, the day came when the parts were given out, and little Johnny, back from school, rushed into his mother's arms, bursting with pride and excitement. Mother, he shouted, guess what? I've been chosen to clap and cheer. <laughs> all about how you frame it. Right. <laughs> it was excited. He had a part to play. It's all about the framing. Reminds me of the child's report card that had this note from a teacher. Samuel participates very nicely in the group singing by his careful listening. <laughs> <laughs> Hope 
positive reinforcement. The stories that we tell matter. The stories we tell about ourselves, about our history, about other people, about the world we live in. In many ways, those stories shape and define our reality. The stories gain more power the more that they are told. They become the air we breathe and the water, you might say, that we drink. Stories help us know who we are. And similarly, unhelpful or untrue stories can limit or even hurt us. One of the stories I grew up telling myself, partly was it because it was true, uh, was that I was shy and therefore I wasn't good at talking with others, let alone talking in front of a group of others. And I think closely parallel to this shyness was a serious lack of self-confidence. Really didn't believe I had much to offer anyone, so why would they want to talk with me anyway? And so some of my first jobs reflected this story that I told myself. One of my first jobs was working out in a strawberry farm in the fields. Didn't have to talk to anyone, just care for the plants, pull some weeds, be alone. That's okay for an introvert. My next job was bagging groceries uh, at a grocery store. This was before self-checkout, even before plastic bags. And so I could avoid eye contact and just focus on you know the cans coming down, the produce, the boxes of cereal, and you know filling that brown bag as carefully as I could. You know you got to get the weight distributed just right. It's a real art to make sure that you can get that brown bag filled to capacity, but it's not going to tear. And again, really didn't have to talk to anyone. And then my first job in college was working in the campus film and video library where I would be given these old reels of film and I'd have to inspect them for uh, cracks or flaws and I had tools to help repair these old movies, reels. And then when I was done, the most I had to say was, here, <laughs> and what's next? So, mission accomplished, avoiding talking to people. And so I lived into this story that I was overwhelmingly shy and that I wasn't a person worth talking to anyway. But thankfully, someone else didn't know this story. And they thought of a different turn in the plot. And they said, Brian, you should be the person who stands up in front of our group and talks at our weekly meetings. And you should do this every week. <laughs> and I thought, this is a very bad idea. <laughs> and my anxiety was at an all-time high, as you can imagine, leading up to this. But they persisted, and I gave it a chance, and it didn't go horribly, and realized, what do you know? The story that I've been living with wasn't entirely true. And after a while, my story changed. I wasn't someone who was so shy that they had to avoid other people altogether and could never speak in front of a group. I was someone who could do those things. And that change of story changed my vocation, changed my life. Because the stories that we tell ourselves matter. They matter. A professor put it this way, our identities are constructed through stories. 
So personal narrative has power, and communal narrative, shared stories, might even have more power. And we see in our text today several layers of this communal narrative at work. The first layer, at least as held by the Jewish people, of which Jesus was one, was that Samaritans are lesser than. Right? We heard this very explicitly said by the writer of the Gospel, Jews do not share things in common with the Samaritans. And this had to go back, this had to do with their history going back as people together, uh, the tribes of Israel and Judah, when the northern tribes were conquered some centuries before, the people of Samaria intermarried with people from other nations. And this resulted in a number of hybrid religious customs, mixing worship of Israel's God with gods of other nations, and also shifted the ethnic makeup of the people, which was seen by Judeans, the southern tribes, as unclean and impure. And so one story layer here is that Samaritans are to be avoided because they are less than us. A second layer is the superiority of men over women, over women in that culture. So Jesus talks to this woman, and she's surprised at it. Hey, what? How is it that you, a man, is talking to me, a woman? And when the disciples come, they are also astonished. The text says they were astonished he was talking to a woman. And so in that patriarchal culture, for a man to talk with a woman who's not a spouse or family member, and she's there without a male member of her family or spouse, would be very unusual. And so there's our second layer patriarchy. Third layer, this woman in particular seems to have been an outcast even from her own community. And we glean that from the fact that she goes when to the well? About noon. It's hot at noon. And in that culture often it would be a group effort to go to the well and get the water. Women would go together and they go in the morning before it's really hot. And the fact that she is there all alone at noon, gives us a hint that maybe it's because others didn't want to be with her. And we find out later she's had uh, multiple relationships for whatever reason. We're not told the reasons for that, but for some reason it's held seemingly against her. And so three layers of stories, some told by outsiders, some by her own people, and some perhaps even by herself. She's a Samaritan, she's a woman, she's an outcast. Now many of us who grew up in church were told a framing story, not just about ourselves, but about all of humanity. And that is uh, that humans are sinful and separated from God, and that we are tainted with what's called original sin. So even when we're born, we're immediately born into sin. And one of the first stories told in the Bible seems to back this up. Adam and Eve ate fruit from a tree they weren't supposed to in direct disobedience to God. So they sinned, and they were kicked out of the garden. And sadly for the rest of us, they subjected every human who would come after them to the unfortunate designation of sinner. And I'm not saying we don't sin. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to, 
to admit that, right? But for many of us, it became the initial and primary identifier about who we are as human beings. We are sinners. God doesn't accept us. We were told this over and over again about our story and our connection and relationship to God and the lack thereof. We're sinners, God doesn't accept us, but then we were told that we were lucky and God figured out a way to love us anyway. But you should still sweat it a little. <laughs> and so this story of Adam and Eve was an old story, right? A story much older even than the story we're reading. And so it's a story that Jesus and this woman at the well would also have been aware of and would have been in their consciousness. And yet Jesus shows up on this day with a different story, a new narrative. Diana Butler Bass says, this encounter at the well is actually an interesting parallel to the story of Eden in the garden. In fact, you might say that they are reenacting it in a way. In Genesis, if you recall, the devil tempts the woman to eat forbidden fruit to gain divine knowledge. And at the well, Jesus invites this Samaritan woman to drink God's water to gain spiritual wisdom. In both stories, the woman's eyes are opened, and she understands. And yet, here, instead of being run out of the garden by an angry God, she runs and tells her friends that she has met the one who is living water. She is not cursed. Rather, she is blessed and able to offer blessing. Water, of course, was present at creation, and it is present here also at the world's re-creation through Jesus. And so this entire story, in a way, could be seen as a reversal of the story recounting the origin of sin. Jesus and the woman here reenact Eden with a different result. You are not outcast. You are loved. A new story is told. And so after talking with Jesus for a while, she runs back to town and says breathlessly, come meet a man who's holding everything I ever did. And you'd think, given at least what we know of her history, that might have filled her with shame. But we don't read any shame in her joy, do we? No, there's no shame, only wonder and delight, because a new story has been told. She is fully recognized as an equal. She is fully honored and welcomed. I mean, to drink that water when you've been denied it for so long is life. And that's how we are invited to see ourselves, no matter what stories others or even we ourselves have told. And so many of us were told that, number one, we're sinful. Number two, God does love you, but not because you're worth loving, but only because of what Jesus did. And so thanks to Jesus, God tolerates you. But if it was just up to you, you'd be in a lot of trouble. And so we had this idea of God's grace and acceptance, sort of. 
And then often added on to that was the implication that we still had to hold up our end of the bargain. Maybe it wasn't said explicitly, but in practice we were taught to imagine that our relationship with God was performance-based. Did you have your quiet time or devotional time today? Have you had any impure thoughts or actions? Did you share the gospel with someone today? Or the West Michigan version? Did you share the good news of predestination today? <laughs> and on top of that, too many of us have been told at various points, you don't look the right way to be accepted here. You don't love the right way to be accepted here. You don't believe the right way to be accepted here. Maybe it wasn't always said like that explicitly, but you could tell. You could feel when you weren't really welcome, when you weren't really accepted. And so too many of us have been told again and again that some key piece of our identity had left us beyond the reach community, maybe even beyond the reach of God's love. But thankfully, many of us have moved to a different place, a healthier place, and learned new stories. But I wonder, sometimes even there, we can find ourselves in a performance-based cycle where our identity and acceptance is tied to how well we are measuring up. Did you attend both protests last weekend? Or only one? And how good were your signs? Did you volunteer with the shelter? Did you attend the organizing meeting? Did you sign all the petitions? Did you? Did you? Did you? And you can find yourself struggling to keep up, struggling to measure up, struggling to be enough. And even when those are, of course, all very good things. We can turn them into indicators, right, of whether we are acceptable. Whether we're good enough, whether we deserve love. And it's exhausting and can fill us with doubt and shame about whether we are enough. Well, like the woman who made her way to the well, we are thirsty people. Thirsty for relationship, thirsty for connection, thirsty for acceptance. And Jesus shows up and simply says, here, drink. And the water that he offers is the water of life, water that washes over us and in us and through us, water that tells a new story. You are loved. You are accepted. You are good enough just as you are. No asterisks, no apostrophes, no qualifying fine print. You're in your love. You are enough, period. I can't think of better news than that. Amen. Amen. Maybe so.
you are invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.